Searching for the mind blower God soldier Hit you with the fire solar Scripture alone Grace alone Faith alone Christ alone Glory to God alone On this microphone With a righteous tone It's not about who's illness Come on My sixth sense is telling me That Christ is more unbreakable Thank you guys so much for checking this out Welcome to Worldview Warriors I am Dave Wilson Hanging out with John Jansen How's it going? As usual We got a really cool episode For you guys tonight I hope you guys will follow along And, and participate um, We're going to be asking For some feedback And stuff like that here So huge thank you To everybody following us live in the Reasons for Jesus Facebook group. Um, and then also thank you to everybody following us on YouTube after the fact. And if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, check us out, YouTube Worldview Warriors. Likewise, if you're following on YouTube, but you're not part of the Reasons for Jesus Facebook group, it is a super awesome group of believers. Um, so definitely feel free to um, join us. We'd love to hang out with you. Definitely. So what we're going to be going over tonight, first and foremost, is the Old Testament law. How does it apply to us today? Uh, why do we, you know, not eat bacon or eat bacon? Why do we not commit adultery? What, what, what is relevant to us? And then we're also going to go over cultural blind spots, specifically more so within U.S. Christianity than any other. So if you guys could also help us out in the comments below as we're going through, uh, drop some uh, comments on cultural blind spots that you guys see, uh, and we can kind of discuss some of those issues as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, we're going to have a new segment that should be pretty sweet. Hopefully, you guys were all love it. So it's going to be a surprise. It's going to be good. It's going to be hot, <laughs> hot. All right, cool. Cool. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's so like I said, the, uh, the first thing that we're going to be talking about here is the old Testament law and what applications does it have? We get these questions all the time where, um, you know, whether it's something for like an apologetic type thing and it's something that someone's saying against Christianity, like, Oh, Christians are inconsistent because you pick and choose what you follow out of the Bible or whether it's just kind of a legitimate newer believer who's, you know, kind of reading through some of the stuff specifically in the Old Testament. And they're like, well, wait a minute, like what, what of this am I supposed to follow? What am I not supposed to follow? How do we deal with that? So that's really going to be kind of what we're, what we're going to unpack here. Um, you know, one way to look at it is, is almost kind of like rules in school, right? So in like third grade, you, um, you know, you, you're not allowed to, to stab somebody with a pencil, but you're also not allowed to use a calculator on your math test. But then, you know, you get to high school and you can use your calculator on your math test, but you still can't stab your neighbor in the eye this is true. with a pencil or other object. <laughs> so uh, there, there is a sense in which the law kind of functions like that, um, you know, and there's, there's ditches that people tend to fall into when it comes to uh, the law. And, you know, on one hand, you have people who fall into like a hyper legalism where you're almost, you, you kind of tend to look at things as, okay, I have to do these things in order to be saved or in order to maintain my salvation. Um, and that's blatantly false. And that's actually one of the primary reasons why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. You know, it's all about being set free from the law and that sort of thing. Uh, but then on the other side, there's the ditch of antinomianism, fun word for you, but it basically means lawlessness, um, antinomianism, where, where basically you're just uh, living as if you have no concern for any type of, of God's laws whatsoever. And obviously God gave us um, these laws in the Old Testament. These are important and we, we do have a relationship um, with them. Um, so the question really comes down to how, how is it that we determine what applies today and what does not apply today to Christians? And there's going to be a couple different approaches here. Um, the first one is going to be more of, I would say it's almost kind of a dispensationalist type approach. This mm -hmm. is the simpler answer. I think either way you approach it, I think you're going to end up with similar um, results. 
but I kind of want to give you both ways just to, to kind of look at. Okay, so the, the more the dispensationalist answer, the uh, dispensationalism is a position that, among other things, looks at um, kind of redemptive history as in like different sections. Okay, so according to this view, God deals with people, uh, his people differently over different ages. So they would say that uh, the law was given for one particular dispensation, and now God deals with us differently now. So therefore, the Old Testament, we don't look to for those things. We can really just look to what is um, given for Christians to follow in the New Testament. So we're, we're not really concerned with with the Old Testament things. If it's that, if it applies to us from the Old Testament, it will be repeat, repeated in the New Testament. Now, I don't think that's the best answer for that, but I think that you generally are going to come to a right conclusion if you use that approach. Um, if you look for, okay, what things are affirmed um, in the New Testament that are given specifically to Christians as opposed to uh, Old Testament Jews. So that's going to be sort of one approach to look at that. Um, the other approach would be a little bit more of the uh, the covenantal approach, which um, would tend to be more of a let's look at the let's look at the Old Testament laws and then basically anything that isn't explicitly abridged or removed would still stand. Um, so, for example, we can look at dietary laws. There's specific um, laws that were given around how what and how people were supposed to eat in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, there's actually a few different explicit times where those are done away with. Um, those laws are fulfilled. Um, you know, Mark 7, for example, Jesus says that, you know, it's not uh, what goes into you that defiles you. It's what what comes out of your heart is what defiles you. Um, and, uh, and in that, it, it specifically says, and in this, Jesus declared all foods clean. We have other instances uh, like Romans 14. Mm -hmm. Paul's talking about, you know, like not judging your brother for, for eating something that he sort of has the faith to eat. Or um, there's a, is it Peter that sees the vision and God basically tells Peter, you know, take, kill and eat an unclean animal. And um, so, so there, there's specific abrogations. There's specific times in the New Testament when this law was, mm -hmm. um, was sort of ended. So, so this would be kind of more, a little bit more of a thorough approach is sort of following a law and saying, okay, where was this ended? Um, so that, that's going to be kind of the other, um, the other sort of approach there. Um but yeah, really, we get into sort of, as we look at the law here, it's just, okay, well, what is the law and what is the point of the law? Um, and there's, uh, there are a lot of different, um, different purposes of it. Um, we're told in um, 1 Timothy 1 that one of the purposes of the law is to expose sin. Mm -hmm. um, we see uh, Colossians 2, a huge purpose is to foreshadow Christ um, and to point us to Christ. Um, we see in Matthew 5 that it's something to be fulfilled by Jesus. Um, and, and these are all sort of right, different applications of the law. But ultimately, the law is an expression of who God is. Um, it is uh, in Colossians, it talks about how uh, it calls the law, oh, what is the word here? Uh, sorry, in Galatians. Galatians 3, it refers to the law as our teacher or our guardian until Christ. Um, and, and that's kind of interesting language because what you have in the law is it's sometimes easy to look at the law as just a set of do nots. So don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But really, each of those laws were given to teach us something about God. It's to shadow who God is, to shadow God's character. Um, and then in Christ, we have, you know, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, puts on human flesh and he's, you know, the full embodiment, the full mm -hmm. picture of what God is. You know, you want to see what does God look like? Look at Jesus. You know, that's that's the picture there. So in that sense, Jesus fulfills the law. 
Um, but we have all of the law is, is, like I said, it's based on God's nature. And typically theologians are going to break up the, the Old Testament law in three different categories. They're going to say there's one type of law that is ceremonial, a type of law that is judicial, and there's a type of law that is moral. Now, there's some some that'll, that'll kind of cross. cross. Yeah, exactly. There, there's some cross over there. But typically, okay, so a judicial law was for the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the things they were given was to set them apart from other nations. Um, certain things they were supposed to eat, things they were supposed to wear, the purpose of those, many of them was to um, separate them and sanctify them visibly from their you know, pagan neighbors. Um, so that's that's sort of the judicial law. That dealt a lot with consequences. If somebody does this, here's the consequence, mm-hmm. here's the punishment. That was kind of how, how a lot of that um, functioned. Then we have the ceremonial laws. Those are laws t- uh, typically dealing with cleanliness and, uh, and things like that, and um, what priests would do, um, how to give sacrifices, things like that. And that all, you know, 100% of that is pointing to Christ, um, ultimately pointing to Christ to come. Um, and then the, uh, the third portion of the law there is the moral law. Um, and the moral law is specifically based on God's moral nature. So um, Genesis talks about how we are created as image bearers of God. Um, that's really, that's something that we do. Um, so when we act, when we behave, when we do whatever we're doing, we are God's representatives. We're representing God. So when we uh, you know, commit adultery, what we're saying about God by that action is we are saying that God is unfaithful. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just to kind of give you an example, so this is the reason why the moral laws, moral laws are never going to change because they're based on God's nature and God's nature never changes. Um, so this is why there's things that were you know, sinful in the Old Testament are still sinful in the New Testament. And uh, you know, frankly, a lot of the other things that are not moral issues, so like the ceremonial issues, weren't considered sinful issues. Um, you know, so for uh, uh, for example, uh, things that would make you ceremonially unclean, so violating the ceremonial law was things like, um, you know, like touching a dead body, mm-hmm. um, you know, having any kind of sexual intercourse, um, touching blood things like that, um, menstruating for women. And these, of course, aren't sinful things. Like, that's just part of life. Like, you're, you know, you're going to do these things at some point. You know, people die. You got to bury them. Yep. You know, you're you're going to get hurt. You're going to bleed. You, you've got to do that. But um, these are to kind of show us how other God is, right? So God doesn't need to reproduce. So it's sort of, it's ungodlike when you talk about, um, you know, sex and, and things like that, because God doesn't do that. Um, or, you know, like bleeding, you know, God doesn't bleed. God is eternal. So it's so these things are teaching us pictures of, of who God is. It's kind of what they're showing us. But again, those aren't sin issues. No. It's just that's part of life. And there was sort of a ceremonial ritual that people would have to do after these things um, in order to become ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean and then, um, you know, join back in with the um, the body to, to gather and, and worship and things like that. Um, all right. Anything else that you can think of that we want to sort of add on those that distinction there? Well, I, I think some of it is uh, like the ceremonial. I think of uh, Leviticus kind of like as a how-to. I, I remember when I was going through physical therapy, they basically we had to do uh, sterile techniques. So there were specific ways we had to put on our gloves. There were specific ways we had to put on, uh, you know, our gowns so that we didn't uh, basically uh, cause. Uh, 
the area to become non-sterile. In the same way, God is basically sure. setting apart something to become holy. So the the ceremonial aspect, the way that the priests would, you know, robe themselves as far as the different things that they would do was to set them apart for a specific purpose to show how holy God was. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it wasn't necessarily something that was sinful, but it's a way to separate the Jewish uh, people as far as from the way that the rest of the world would work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and we'll we'll kind of transition here a little bit and sort of move into moral law and sin and then and then really kind of get into the good news of yeah. the whole thing, which is, of course, the gospel. Um, you know, all of all of law points to the gospel. A really good uh, quote that we've got here. This is from uh, Samuel Bolton. <laughs> I, lo I love the picture. It's uh, this is not a picture of Samuel Bolton. He was a Puritan. Uh, this is uh, a picture of Michael Bolton dressed as Captain Jack Sparrow. But he says, uh, we, we come to the gospel that we, um, wow, I can't even read that. <laughs> Whoops. Ah! Um, but, but really, he just points to, um, you know, we, we turn to the law to see that we need the gospel. Yes. And then once we have the gospel, we then turn to the law to see how people live who are justified. You know, we see sort of how to uh, how to honor God and, and things like that. So we have a very different relationship with the law on this side of the cross. And again, not all those things we follow, you know, the ceremonial laws, those are, you know, yeah. all fulfilled in Christ. Uh, you know, if somebody wanted to, uh, you know, refrain from eating pork or something like that, that's a conscience issue, but it's, um, it's not a sin issue unless, of course, you're looking for, um, you know, like justification um, in that. Um, all right. So the essential premise there is that the law essentially makes us aware of our sin, thus us knowing that we need a savior. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So so let's look at sin a little bit. So sin is um oh shoot, is it still on this picture? It's it's still on oh, Bolton. It's still on, it's still on Bolton. Bolton's so hot right now. No, I think it's switched. All right, there we go. Well, <laughs> Now it's fixed either way. <laughs> um, cool. Okay, so sin. Sin is essentially, sin is violating the uh, moral law, basically. Um, you know, you can get into a variety of different theological definitions of sins, but ultimately sin is to um, act, behave, desire, etc., in a way that is contrary to God's nature. Mm -hmm. um, God's nature, of course, is revealed in his um, moral law. So when we look at the word sin, when we look in English, the word sin literally translates to miss the mark. So the sort of the concept that you're looking at there is like archery. Um, so it's sort of like if you're, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you miss your target by an inch or by six miles, like you, you still miss the target. And that's ultimately what sin is. Sin is to miss the moral character of God. Again, it's not about, you know, missing by an inch versus a, a mile. It's, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's sort of like, like if you're trying to, you know, catch a plane somewhere and you're like, oh man, I only missed the plane by five minutes. <laughs> Better than this other guy that missed it by an hour, but it's like, it doesn't matter because you, you both missed it. Um, so, so that's, that's sort of how we, how we look at sin here. Sin is to fall short of the standard. It's to, to fall short of the moral nature of God. Um, you know, uh, I, I heard one uh, one pastor said, said this. He said, sin is not a matter of how bad we are. It's a measure of how good we are not. Um, so, again, they're just kind of playing off the idea of it being, um, you know, just just missing the mark. Um, you know, and it's it's interesting, too, when you look at um, really what the Jews believe throughout Old Testament history. 
there was never initially a reliance upon the law for salvation. Um, if you look at even God's giving of the Ten Commandments, um, you know, it starts out basically by saying, you know, I'm God, I delivered you out of Egypt, I saved you. You know, here, here are some, some laws basically that, mm-hmm. that reflect who I am. So it wasn't something where God is saying, okay, you need to do these things and then I'll save you. Salvation came first and then and then came the law. Um, so, you know, the initially the Jews did not look at the law in terms of as a way to be saved. They understood that it was salvation by faith alone. You know, you look at Abraham, it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's your salvation. There's your justification. It's belief in God, belief in God alone. That's what saves you. It's not following laws. That is what saves you. But really what happened is you look at um, Jewish history is that eventually um, the people turn their, turn their backs on God, turn their hearts away from God. They turned to idolatry and things like that. And God judged them as a nation. They were mm-hmm. exiled from the promised land. And really it was sort of at that point that this mentality kind of came in of a workspace salvation, you know, their idea, um, you know, and the idea that you see the Pharisees having in, uh, you know, Jesus day is, is basically it's this works-based salvation mentality. Um, but again, that was not something that was original to the law. That was something added as an afterwards. That their mentality was kind of, well, we better keep these or else something worse is going to happen to us. Um, and things really got twisted. And that was sort of, uh, again, in sort of the exile um, and towards the second uh, temple period, um, which is you know a few hundred years before Jesus is, is kind of when that, uh, when that got started. Oh... Uh, Anything else you want to add to that, John? Not that I can think of offhand. Okay. Um, but yeah, so again, the law is based on God's moral character. The law is one of the primary purposes to show us that we don't measure up. It shows us that we need a savior. And of course, this is where um, the gospel comes in. Because as we look at the law, as we look at these requirements, you know, and especially the way that Jesus really spun them is, um, you know, sort of the the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders at the time, really had this idea of like, oh, okay, well, I don't commit adultery. I don't murder people. Like I'm, I've kept the law, you know, I'm good. And then Jesus said, no, like it's, it's what's in your heart. It's not just what you're doing. It's what's in your heart. Okay. Maybe you haven't committed adultery, but you're lusting after all these women. So you're just as guilty as, you know, as anybody else. And on the book of James, it talks about um, really kind of, it references the law as being almost like a windshield instead of a stained glass window. Um, so it's like some, sometimes we can kind of think of the law as, as a stained glass window where it's got these different sections and we're trying to have as few of these sections, these panels of glass broken mm-hmm. as possible. That's not how, it, not how it is. That's not how James lays it down or how Jesus laid it down. Like if you faulted in one area, whole thing's broken. It's a windshield. Whole window's got to be replaced. And that's ultimately what points us to Jesus. You know, God, the second person of the Trinity, put on human flesh. He lived perfectly to these moral standards. He fulfilled them all. And then it's it's his, you know, windshield essentially that's that's what he's giving us by faith. And we when we trust in him and, and believe in him and turn to him, um, it's not our own righteousness that we're basing anything, anything whatsoever off of. It is entirely on the the finished work of of Jesus Christ, both in his life and his uh, substitutionary death. That is John's daughter. No doubt, being adorable, playing the piano. Cool. So, uh, all right, let me see what we got for comments. So in just a minute, we're going to transition here and look at sort of cultural Christian blind spots um, is what we're going to talk about here. So looking for suggestions from you guys on what you see as areas that the church has maybe caved to culture. Maybe Christians have um, kind of become... um, 
really kind of a product of our environment. You know, as we look at through church history, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, people that God used mightily that had these massive blind spots in their lives. You know, you look at like a lot of the Puritans and, and people who had just excellent, excellent doctrine. You know, you look at like the Valley of Vision. This is people begging God to break their heart over their sin. Yet many of these same people um, sort of didn't see the uh, African slave trade as a big deal or as mm-hmm. something worth standing up for. And it's like, that, that's just a huge blind spot. And we can now look back at that and be like, you know, what, what are you guys doing? Like, you guys really missed the boat there. Another example is like Martin Luther, um, great man of God, did amazing things for the faith. Yet some of the stuff that he said towards, um, you know, Catholics, Jews, things like that, like mm-hmm. we can we can look back at some of that and we're like, bro, like how how can a Christian say yeah. some of those things? So it's like we, we have these blind spots. Um, so again, my question to you guys is what blind spots do you guys see? Go ahead and throw some comments on there. We've got a couple that we're going to talk about. Uh, but first, we have our new, <laughs> our new special segment, which is Jansen's Gems. <laughs> I knew you guys would like it. So this is basically John just giving something that's lit. Yeah, so <laughs> definitely lit. <laughs> so uh, a few uh, years ago was the first time I had read this book, and uh, it was just kind of eye-opening as far as to the Muslim culture, uh, the faith of Islam. I mean, I had taken uh, Religions of the World class. It gave me a very basic overview, but actually kind of uh, diving into someone's life who uh, was deeply involved with it, was a devout Muslim, and then uh, through a series of um, partially apologetics from a friend, one moment. Uh, apologetics from a friend. Uh, this guy came to know Christ and become uh, an apologist uh, for him. Um, if you don't know who Nabil is, this is Nabil. his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And uh, it's an absolutely phenomenal book. It's one that I recommended to Dave last year. And uh, he, he said it was one of the best books he had read. So it's one that I would highly recommend you guys dive into. And he actually has a follow-up book. The first book is more his family life, uh, what the life of uh, a devout Muslim was like, uh, what his arguments were kind of uh, against the Christian faith and what really impacted him. And then he had a follow-up book called uh, No Other God But One, uh, seeking, uh, which was um, uh, Allah or Jesus. And that book is more about the very specifics uh, of the apologetics that really kind of convinced him where his faith was in error and where Christianity was just rock solid. So if you haven't uh, read his works, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, once again, it's Nabil Qureshi, uh, and it's Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Absolutely Damn. phenomenal book. This book is amazing. Yeah, I think this was probably my favorite book that I read last year, and I read like 50 books last year yeah <laughs> that, that book was amazing definitely like and this this brother actually uh passed away from was it yeah. cancer yeah, I, I think last year and like dude just like after reading his book like he is one of the first people that like i just want to give a huge hug to like yes. in heaven like i mean but you can just see the the man's heart just completely transformed by christ it's um it's a beautiful book and it's one that's going to be easy to read anybody's going to read it you don't need like a degree in theology or something to read it very easy to read but at the same time it's also really well sourced and it's very technical yes um it's super super good book um, awesome so that is your first ever segment of <laughs> jansen's gems and uh and now we'll move on to uh to our our, our final topic here which is Christian blind spots. Like I, like I mentioned, you know, we can look back through church history and see, you know, these great men and women of God, but people who were, 
in many ways a product of their environment to the point where they just had these huge misconceptions that we can then look back on them and be like, guys, what were you thinking? Um, so that's that's kind of our question um, that we're going to look at now is, um, you know, what things are, you know, five generations of Christians from now, like what are our great, great grandkids going to look back on that we're doing it and be like, dude, you guys, you guys missed the boat. You know, like what, what were you doing? Um, okay. So one of the biggest ones that I think here is something that I notice is just irreverence and particularly just how we use the name of God, I think is, is a really big one. You know, when you look at, um, you know, again, kind of looking back to, um, the, the third commandment is, is on how we talk about God's name. And there's different ways that, um, that we can violate that. So talking about like, thou shalt not, um, take the name of the Lord that God in vain. Okay, so there's a sort of a primary application could be sort of like a false prophecy. So it's like speaking as God, like saying, okay, you know, God of Israel says this Mm -hmm. sort of thing. That would be sort of a primary application. That's probably not how, for the most part, we today deal with that. Um, The way that we deal with that would be sort of a secondary application, which is just loosely using God's name and irreverently using that. And it's like, you know, we're so desensitized just from, you know, TV and, and media and whatever, like there's... Like if you hear, you know, the name of Jesus Christ or of God mm-hmm. on your TV, like probably 99% of the time it's going to be used in a profane way. Um, and God takes his name very seriously. Yes. Um, and I think I think it's a specific attack against the true God. Because when's the last time you heard someone stub their toe and go, oh, Buddha? <laughs> it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't hear as far as the other gods being named. And we're taking something that's to be highly exalted and, and making it profane, uh, turning it into a four letter word. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember a couple years ago, um, if you guys have seen the show Sons of Anarchy, like they use the name of Jesus Christ as a swear word for all over the place. And it's one of those things where the, the actual, the, I think it was the writer of the show was either the writer or the director was kind of asked about that. And basically he said, well, we can't say the F word. So this is sort of what we, what we throw in there, just, you know, FCC regulations stuff. And it's just like, and that's the culture that we're living in. So it's like, as, as Christians, um, you know, I, I think we need to be really aware of how desensitized we're being to this. And, you know, you look at like the Lord's prayer, you know, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Like that's the first petition. Um, like it's our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the first thing we're supposed to pray for is that God's name would be honored. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much are we dishonoring that, um, by, uh, just the, the way we talk and, um, you know, the things that we allow to entertain us. Um, so I think that's now, what would you, what would you say to the person that says, well, that's not the actual name of God. God's actual name is Yahweh, but the authors of the book just didn't want to uh, blaspheme God. So they just turned it into the word God, uh, and made that a general statement. So that's not really blasphemy. What would you say to the person that says that? You know, I I think it's honestly kind of a cop-out. Um, you know, when you look at, like, the name of God in your Bible, there's going to be a few different, there's a few different words that were used. So, like, Elohim is a word that refers to God, but Elohim doesn't explicitly refer to God. That can describe an angel or a demon or really any type of disembodied spirit. You have, uh, like, Adonai is uh i think that's that's lord or sovereign sovereign lord Lord. sovereign lord is what what adonai is and then you have you know god's formal name yahweh Mm -hmm. um that is if you if you look in your bible and you see all caps capital o capital 
O-R-D. Yes. <laughs> yep. Drew a blank there. Uh, that is for uh, when when God's formal name is being used. So there, there were different names that were used within the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament. But at the same time, it's really the way I see it is just kind of how are we looking to him? You know, generally speaking, we're not going to have those different names. We usually refer to, OK, God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, you know, where, where we're sort of looking at the Trinity and um, kind of on that, too. Like when the, the scribes that would copy the scriptures would actually get to God's formal name when they had to write it. I don't, I don't remember what all they had to do, but they had to basically um, whenever they would write the formal name of God, they would change their pens they would go bathe themselves, wash their hands. Like it was this extreme thing. Why? Because they have such uh, reverence for the name of God. And that's just, I feel like that's something that we're, we're really missing um, today. Um, so that's one there. What else do we have on the list of things? Let's say pride is a big one in our culture and entitlement materialism. Short attention span, waiting, wanting to be entertained. Ooh, that's a good one. Priorities messed up. Yeah, definitely. Any of those you want to kind of expound on there, John? Um, I mean, good one from Angela. Yeah, I mean, pride's a big one. I, I think as Christians in general, we and, and people tend to put themselves as you know, well. I don't do that sin, so I'm still at a higher level. And they're still uh, basing as far as their salvation and works in a certain way because they're like, well, I'm not doing this and not doing that and not doing that. But they're forgetting the fact that they actually need a Savior. And they're forgetting that that same person needs that Savior too. And so they they pump themselves up to the point where they feel like they're elevated above someone else, uh, which kind of puts them on the same level of the way that the Pharisees saw themselves. Or, yeah. you know, the guy that said, thank goodness I'm not like that tax collector. Right. I think we still do that you know as the church in many ways yeah yeah that's a good one um man like wanting to be entertained that's a big one like yeah. when you just look at how a lot of church models are functioning as they are functioning more as something to be entertained it's like uh in um what was the book letters to the church by yeah. uh, francis chan super good book um but he kind of gives this analogy if he's like he's talking to his daughter and, uh, and he basically asked her, you know, hey, if we were to rent out all of Dave and Buster's for all your friends, provide all the cake and whatever, how many people do you think we could get to come to your birthday party? And she's, you know, like hundreds or, you know, whatever, like the whole school, like who wouldn't want to come yeah. to that? He's like, okay, now how about if we didn't do any of that? What if we just had, um, you know, just cake and ice cream, no activities whatsoever? Like how many people would actually want to come to your birthday party? She's like, well, maybe, you know, like these four. And it's just like, Man, like when you look at, at that to the church, it's like, you know, we want all of this consumeristic type stuff, but it's like, do we really want God? Like, are we there to actually worship him and to know him? Like, is that the reason that's that's driving us? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's huge. That's huge. Uh, what else do we have? I would say gluttony is one that many times isn't mentioned within the church, but it is interesting that we have an entire, you know, couple networks that are dedicated just to food alone. And we even have man versus food where we watch a guy literally gorge himself with food. Uh, and, and it's like, yeah, go. Or we got a guy that eats 52 hot dogs within, you know, a few minutes. And it's one that we kind of, yeah, we kind of look to the side <laughs> and we go, yeah, that's pretty sweet. But it's something that, you know, we're commanded not to do. And if our bodies are temples of God, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't be uh, putting ourselves to that extent. Uh, it's just pushing it to the limit. 
Um, but I, I think one of the ones that uh, we were going to mention too, Dave, was uh, uh, regarding sexual sin. Um, specifically, uh, and this won't be an extensive, exhaustive uh, list, but um, uh, which we might be doing something in regards to that in the future, but towards adultery and um, uh, divorce and remarriage. Uh, a lot of times we become very flippant as far as uh, the reasoning for divorce. And Jesus yeah. in Matthew 19 and 532 gives, you know, some very specific uh, reasonings in the case of adultery uh, for divorce and then remarriage. But um, as a culture, when he's presented with the question for any cause, may a man divorce? Um, he, there were two uh, rabbinic uh, views on this. There was Hillel and there was Shammai. And uh, the Hillel view was basically, you know, uh, a man could divorce his wife for any reason uh, at all. Whereas Shammai said, no, basically, uh, let's look back to Deuteronomy where it says in the case of adultery. And uh, many times Jesus is presented with this, you know, which view is right? And in this case, he's he's pointing back to, you know, in the case of adultery, here we have a case uh, for for uh, a specific reason for divorce or marriage. But many times uh, we, you know, just kind of, we fell out of love with this person or, you know, they burnt my toast uh, and we become flippant about it. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, this is something uh, the husband and wife relationship is supposed to reflect as far as Christ and his church, a covenant. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's that's one that I think a lot of times as the church, when we see just a, the same percentage of divorces within the church as we do within the world, and we're yeah. not supposed to be seen as the world, that's one area I think that is a huge a blind spot specifically in America too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, like God is a covenantal God. We are to be a covenantal people. Um, you know, and that, and that's not to shame people, of course, that have, that have had divorces or anything like that. And again, John listed, you know, there, there are biblical grounds for divorce. Like there are correct things that says, yes, you are, you know, you are justified in, in a divorce here, but, but yeah, just the way that we, like you said, we're, we're just, we're very flippant about it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing at all. And, and again, you know, we look at, you know, what is the purpose of marriage? Like it's not about our happiness. Ultimately, it's about the glory of God. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we um, the, the bond that we have as husbands and wives is to be a picture to the world of what it looks like, the relationship between Jesus Christ and his people. Yes. Um, you know, and that's we're, we're not going to let that go just for any reason. Um, awesome. Awesome, abstinence, awesome. Abstinence from bacon is not one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Enjoy the bacon. That's right. Oh, man, I love me some bacon. I, I had bacon Especially yesterday. Especially rocking that keto life, man. <laughs> Just bacon all day. Cool. Um, all right. Anything else that we want to hit as far as uh, those cultural blind spots? Obviously, that's not exhaustive. That's just kind of a couple of the big ones here. Let me just flip through and see if there's anything else that anybody dropped here. I think we hit it all. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for right now. Um, we have, we're our next, our next video we're going to drop on our YouTube channel. We might do a, like a, a watch party on, um, in reasons for Jesus for it, but we're going to be, uh, we have somebody lined up that's going to do a super cool interview. Just somebody who was really into uh, new age occult, things like that had a lot of just kind of crazy, you know, like demonic experiences and stuff like that. Um, so we're going to be doing that. It is going to be hashtag lit. Um, that's going to be in about two weeks. And then our next live webcast we're going to do is actually going to be about demons and demonology. 
Um, at this point, probably up to about 100 hours or so of study into demons. We're just going to be looking at, you know, what they are, where do they come from, what are they trying to do, what are some different ways that um, they want our attention and, and things like that. So that's going to be hot. Hot. Um, hot. Uh, but anyway, I <laughs> hope you guys have enjoyed this. Again, thank you for watching. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to check out the Reasons for Jesus Facebook group. If you're watching some Reasons for Jesus, be sure to check us out on YouTube. That is Worldview Warriors. And uh, we will see you guys in a couple weeks. Love you all. Love you Grace and peace.